in one of the seat pockets in front of you. If you're on the front row, I'm so sorry. But in one of the seat pockets in front of you, there's going to be a Sharpie marker. Okay? And we're going to have to practice what we learned in kindergarten. Sharing is caring. Okay? And here's what I want you to do. Once it's your turn, once it's your turn with the marker, I want you to put your first name on one side. This is going to really test your abilities here. And don't worry if it doesn't look good, because if you could see this, you'd laugh. And on the back side, I want you to put your last name. Now, I know that some of you need two bricks for this, but try to do it on one, okay? So once you've done that, you put your first name on one side, your last name on the other side. I want you to hold on to it. And please, everyone participate because this has a purpose, okay? I'm going to toss this marker down. And I almost made it. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you this morning a, a story, a, a fascinating, it's really a fascinating story about compassion that we find in the pages of Scripture. And I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. So if you can write and listen at the same time, great. If not, please try hard, okay? So here's what's going on. We have the, the Israelites, and they had been in captivity in Babylon for quite some time. And in that moment, in their captivity, there was all kinds of stuff happening. And so think about Jeremiah. Think about all of these Old Testament prophet books. But now we move into this part where Persia has finally defeated Babylon. And by edict of Cyrus, he said to the Jews, all of you who are in exile, go home, go back to Jerusalem. That's about 538 B.C. And that is the first return to Jerusalem. Now, we continue on through there and we find out that, that Ezra is, is, is leading this uh, rebuilding of the temple. And the temple is completed about 515 B.C. And that is under um, some other dude's name. But later on, we have this this person that you're probably familiar with, Esther, right? Esther became queen under Xerxes, okay? And so this is after the temple's completed, Esther becomes queen, because I, I knew that you probably know that one, right? And then the second return of the exiles to Jerusalem to beautify the temple happened about 458 B.C. Now, Xerxes had a son named Artaxerxes, isn't that a great name? Um, you know, as you're thinking about, if you're, if you're going to plan a family, and you're thinking about having a child, maybe think about Artaxerxes. Okay, well, anyway, that's where we pick up this account. And so it's about uh, 444 B.C. So we've gone, and we've, uh, we've sent people back from Babylon, and we are, are occupying, rebuilding the temple. At some point, the temple gets completed, and then we go back, and we put all the things that are inside the temple, the baubles, the, not the baubles, the articles of worship, right? The, the gold things, the, you know, everything. And it all gets put in the, in the temple, and they're ready for worship. In fact, the, the priest, they, they consecrate the temple and they make it ready for worship. But there's just really one problem that's left outstanding. And that brings us to 444 BC with a guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. And here's how the book of Nehemiah starts in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, I was in Susa 
the, cit- the citadel. Hanini, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, those who had gone out of captivity and back into Jerusalem, the ones who had survived the exile, survived everything that had happened, being in a, a city in, as we will find, in much disrepair. And they said to me, Nehemiah said, the remnant, those who are there, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, if you think about this for a moment, in that time period, if your city did not have a great wall, a good wall, then you were always at risk for being plundered, always at risk for being having thieves and all of those things happening and, and stuff being taken to you without your permission. And I said, listen, it's to our shame and our detriment that our, our city, our wall is in shambles. Our gates, they don't work because they've been burned down. Our city and our temple, our temple that we spent all of our efforts in doing, it's in danger and it's to our trouble and to our shame. On top of that, we get threats from others. Our walls, our walls are down. And Nehemiah said, as soon as I heard this, as soon as I heard these words, I wept and mourned for days. And it's in this moment that we understand that Nehemiah has deep love and compassion for his people. For those who live in the city of Jerusalem, the ones that are of his people, he had a great concern. And that concern wasn't, uh, oh yeah, that's kind of sad. What's for dinner kind of sad? In fact, he said that I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So what I want us to take from this very beginning of the book of Nehemiah, the first truth that I want us to pull out is that strong communities are built from great love and intentional prayer. You're like, hey, we just did a series called Intentional Prayer. I wonder why that happened. Because when we build a great community, it is grounded in prayer. See, Nehemiah, he prayed and he fasted. And if you notice, there's a a couple of months mentioned in his account, right? And the, the amount of time between those two months that were mentioned are about four months. And he spent that in prayer. He spent that in fasting. He spent that calling out to his, his God. He said, God, these are the things that I know concern me. My city is in ruin. My people, they, they all need to, to be together again. And we need to make your name great. That's kind of the pastor paraphrase of what's going on there. And so he prayed for about four months for provision that God would give him everything that he needed. That he give him the influence, that he give him the resources, everything. And it came upon that he was in, a, in his cup-bearing duties, which meant basically he, um, he ate the food and drank 
the wine, and if he died, the king didn't eat it or drink it. But he came and he showed up in front of the king, and the king said, Artaxerxes, why are you so sad? Or Nehemiah, why are you so sad? And he said, oh, king, if I could just trouble you, if I could just tell you about what's going on in my homeland, if I could tell you what's going on with the people, my city's in trouble. My people are in shame. Our walls are broken. And the king listened to what Nehemiah had to say, and he said, listen, I, I'll, whatever you need, all I need you to know is when are you going and when will you return? And Nehemiah, in taking a huge risk at even addressing the king in this way, he, he then pressed it just a little bit further and said, oh, king, I don't have anything. Could you write a few letters so I have access to all the resources that I need to build this wall back again? So it worked out. Nehemiah was given all the letters he needed to get from one place to another. He had the authority by the king, and he was given all the resources he needed to rebuild the wall. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, The king granted me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. And Nehemiah gets on his donkey or his colt or whatever it is that he he rode over to that area. And he goes and he inspects all around the city. And he goes through the gates, the ones that he could pass. He goes in and out and he inspects everything that's broken before he ever steps foot inside the city to talk to those who actually live there. And as Nehemiah stood and he addressed the people, he said, here's the problem. We are in great need and we have a problem that we need to fix. And he laid out for them this great vision of rebuilding the wall to bring back honor and security to Jerusalem. And as he does, they say, we will do as you say, we will build this wall. And so chapter 3 gives an account of all those that helped to rebuild the wall. And, and we're talking about a lot of people. So chapter 3 gives an account of how many people rebuilt. So we had families. And as you're, you're looking at the image there, th- this is all of the different areas around the wall with the really tiny print that you probably can't read anyway that just calls out all of the people in chapter 3 and where they built There are 10 gates and there are multiple towers and everyone took to themselves to do the hard work. There were families building in front of their homes. There were families building and and making big expanses. There were workers, there were craftsmen, there were priests, there were women, there were children. And thinking about how it involved the entire family, the entire community. Everyone had a hand in the work Almost. Except for those who felt like they were too good to do it. Check out chapter 3, verse 5. And this is where I want to begin today. We have a great work to do in our church. We have a great work to do of building people who make disciples, making disciples who make disciples, equipping them to do the work of the ministry, equipping 
one another to be engaged and involved in one another's lives, to work through restoring families, to work through restoring life, to work through the process of restoration of a good name in a community, to encourage one another, to teach one another God's laws and his commands, to be ones that help one another to become as much like Christ as we possibly can. So we have a a great work to do in our community and we have a great work to do in our church. We have great work to do in our church and we have a great work to do in our community. Because here's what I think, here's what I think. If, If Jesus, if Jesus was content with us just learning how to equip ourselves. If he was just content with telling those who he spent the most time with, if he was just content with, with us sticking to ourselves, he would have probably just taken his guys with him when he went back to heaven. So if Jesus thought it was wise to leave the ones that were closest to him to do the work of, oh, what's that pesky thing called? The Great Commission. For those that, that don't know what the Great Commission is, it's, it's basically Jesus told us to go and to tell others about him. Where we are, where we're going, and where we will ultimately end up in all the world to go and to tell others about the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. To go ahead and do that, to build them, to make them into disciples. And to continue to bring his kingdom come. So we have a great work to do in our community. We can't be content just to do it for ourselves. We can't be content to just create this this little ethos that we live in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night where we come in and we get away from all the scary things in the world so we can huddle in and be, be all concerned about ourselves because that's one of the quickest ways for a church to die, for a church to only be concerned about what happens on the inside. We run risk when we open up our community here because we run risk of when we're only looking to ourselves and being selfish that we become complacent and we begin to build walls not to provide a security and safety for those that we invite in but instead to keep people out. So First Castroville does not exist for itself. That's selfish. First Castroville exists to make the community that we live in better. We exist to make the community that we live in more vibrant. We exist to bring change to the community. In fact, when the Israelites were pulled into captivity and Jeremiah told them that it was going to happen, you're going to, be, you're going to be taken away from your town and you're going to be placed in Babylon. And here's what I want you to do while you're there. I want you to live. 
I don't want you to say, poor me, look at this perverse generation around me. I want you to live and I want you to flourish. I want you to take your take wives and to have children. And I want you to seek the flourishing of your city. I want you to make it better. I want you to prevent to, to make the success and the flourishing of your city one of your high priorities. And this begins with us. It begins with us when we understand our place. It begins with us when we understand how we are equipped and made to be disciples. If we aren't growing in our faith, then this, this idea of going out in the community it's going to be a little, di- little difficult for us to do. So we must learn, though, to have great love and intentional prayer for our city. Let me ask you a question. Have you gotten to a place in your life where you think about the people on the outside of your church community as an enemy? As somebody to be avoided at all cost? If that's the case... I'm going to gently tell you, or not so gently, that you are in a place where you are looking only to yourself. So we need to learn how to be intentional. Learn how to be intentional in our prayers, intentional in our love for those around us, for our city. We need to learn how to grow in compassion, to have a desire to truly see people flourish to see our community get better, to be made better because of our influence in it. So that takes intentional prayer, intentional private prayer, intentional prayer in groups, and intentional prayer in the corporate setting. It looks like sitting down and praying not only for our families to be safe, but for us to be an influence in making other families safe because of what happens in their own transformed hearts through a relationship with Jesus. It means that we prayer walk our city. We prayer walk our neighborhood. We think about our neighbor to the left and the right and we pray for them. We don't pray that they finally mow their their lawn, okay? We don't pray that they get the junk out of the yard. We pray for their souls. And if you don't know the name of your neighbor, learn it. Pray for them by name. This is a great work. But I want to caution you. When a great work is at hand, opposition comes. And I believe that there are two places that opposition comes from. It comes from the outside and it comes from the inside. Outside opposition looks like discouragement. There's uh, two characters in there, Sambalot and Tobiah, and they taunted and they threatened the people. And as you read through the account of Nehemiah, Sambalot and Tobiah, they used their words and they cast them out and they, they, they taunted the people and they said, you're not going to do anything. Or in fact, you are actually making things bad and I'm going to go tell the king. So they tried to discourage them with words. And when the words stopped working or didn't do the trick, then they went to threatening them. In fact, there was a moment in time where they said, look, what you're doing, it doesn't look like you made a difference at all. And here's what I want you to know as you're making a change in your life, as you're making a change in your community, as you're making a change in your church, that any project that is half done 
it looks like a complete failure. Anything that we are in the process of doing, anyone else can look at it and say, it looks like you're failing at it. And that's where the outside discouragement comes in. And we have to determine, are we going to listen to what people say? Or are we going to hold tight to the vision that God has put in front of us? So that's outside. Outside opposition. Inside opposition, it's divisive. It looks like division in the church. When a church has forward movement, when it has a great work, a vision that it's going to succeed in doing, division arises, or rather I would say this, people blame vision for division. People blame a bold vision because a bold vision exposes the division that all exists in the church. It reveals truly how much we need to grow in Christ. Resistance, if, we, if you find yourself resistant to pursuing the Great Commission, it says more about the distance of your heart from Jesus than anything else. It speaks of your need for transformation and repentance. Bold vision exposes the very things that we are holding back in our relationship with Jesus. So I believe that First Castroville has a great work for Jesus in the city. And as a church, we have determined that we are going to invest in several ministries. And we said these ministries are important because we provided for those ministries people to lead them. We put ministers in places of leadership over several ministries in our church. We said, we want you to lead us to the place that we are supposed to go. We want you to equip us to do the Great Commission. Now, just as each section of the wall was directed. There was a need for people to shoulder the load, to provide the skill, to provide the work to do the ministry, to do the the work of rebuilding the walls. They needed protection. They needed skill. They needed to ensure the stability and the progress of the build. But here's the thing. Every member of the body of Christ is responsible to help build the walls of ministry in the church. Once upon a time, we thought if we just hire somebody, then we don't have to work so hard. But what we found out, if that person has a passion for the Great Commission, that person has a passion to reach the community, that person has a passion to do the ministry that's set in front of them, it actually meant that we have more work And for those of us who are more comfortable sitting back and and wanting to watch things happen than to be involved, that's very troublesome because that's what we pay them to do. But we as the church have to join in. We have to each carry 
our own loads and to put a shoulder to the work of the ministry that's in front of us. We have to join in that work for the sake of the families that we have already inside this church. Think about it. Where were you the moment that somebody into you? Where were you the moment that somebody told you about the grace and the mercy of Jesus? For most of you, it was at vacation Bible school. It was at Sunday school. It's when you're about this tall, right? For some of you, it was I didn't hear that there. I heard it in youth ministry. Or I didn't hear it there at all. I didn't hear it in my family. I didn't hear it because I didn't go to church. I had to hear it from somebody in the community. We all have parts to play in this. For the sake of our families, for the sake of the families that will come, for the sake of our city. So my question for you is this, will you help? Will you help build a great work in our church and in our city? Let's say yes. Okay. Oh my goodness, I don't know about this. All right. Will you help? Build a great work in this church in the city. Okay, good. But here's your question. How? Right? Where? With whom? With what? Right? No worries. We got you covered. And so what I want to do is I want to invite each of our areas of ministry that you have continued to provide love and support and encouragement. And I want to give you one caveat I know that many of you love and serve, okay? I know that. But it's a great work. It's a great work. And one thing that our Heavenly Father rejoices in is when his body works in unison. When his body works as though they are transformed into the image of his son. And so I want to invite up uh, Tina Santi here, up here first. And we're going to sit if that's okay mainly because Tina runs. So Tina Santi, she is our missions minister. And she's been here for, what, 10 years? 10 years. That actually happened on January 15th. 10 years of service. Tina, right? And so a, a couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, um, we're going to give every ministry an opportunity to speak about what's the passion that's behind what they do. And so they worked hard. They worked hard at writing down what, what, it, what their passion was. And I sent some of them back and said, you need to be a little bit more passionate. <laughs> and so... Tina, I want to let you just kind of take it from here. Okay. Okay. Um, As you said, I've been the mission minister here for 10 years. Uh, As a matter of fact, 10 years a couple of weeks ago was my 10-year. I always fall back on a a great verse, and that is Acts 4.29. And that is because those who were threatened, those disciples who... uh, were threatened with their lives. They, they didn't pray for safety or hide me, Father, or protect me or shield me. They prayed, 
for boldness. As your servant father, give me boldness to preach your word. And um, that is something that I have always lived by. Um, the moment I was saved was a, um, an interesting thing. And I know a lot of you don't uh, really know my background, so I'm just going to briefly go over it. And I know I have notes because I could sit up here and talk for hours. And so <laughs> I am, I am going to briefly tell you. Um, I grew up in Laredo, Texas. Um, I... Um, I did not like my life. I was a very dark and ugly person for a very long time. Um, from the second grade on, I think I fought at least once a week, if not every day of my life. Um, in junior high, I joined a gang. Um, I left home at 15 and never went back. I, um, I was a drug dealer and I was involved in the Mexican mafia and I was not a kind person. I was not someone who had even heard about God. My neighbor used to tell me all the time, I'm praying for you, and I would always say, yeah, thank you, Bible thumper. You just keep on doing that. That is the life I led. My parents were atheists. I, I had never heard the word of God. I, I was angry and hated everyone, and, and, and I was a very bitter human being, and I grew up um, on my own uh, just really battling um, and becoming very dark in the world. Um, so dark that one day, um, my ex-husband, we were still married at the time, but separated, um, I wanted to kill him. And I truly wanted him dead. Um, I searched for him that day and I couldn't find him. And that's a God thing. God shields us from things even when we don't walk with him. He will shield you from those things. And I searched, and I wanted him to die. And that day, I knew he was going to die. And so I called some friends and said, hey, I can't find him. Do you know where he is? They said, yeah, let us come get you, and we'll take you to where he is. I said, you better take me. And they said, yes, absolutely. We just need to make one stop. And so as they were driving, they pulled into a strip mall, and there was a bar there, and, and then down the way, there was a couple of glass doors, and I hear this music. I'm like, seriously, you're bringing me to a bar? I had a loaded shotgun in their car. I was ready. This, this is the world that I, I came from. And um, they came out and said, just come in for a minute. So I went in, and I see this band on the stage, and I couldn't tell what music they were playing, and there was an empty seat in the back. So I sat there listening to this music, not hearing the words, really struggling with the darkness that was residing inside of me. And I heard these words, you are mine. And there was no one behind me. And the noise from the band was so loud, it was like it was silenced and that's all I heard. And I turned around, no one there. People were jumping up and down in the aisles listening to this band and I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, and I heard it again. You are mine. And I turned again, and there's no one behind me. And then in the very next moment, I felt a hand on my shoulder that said, You are mine. And I knew at that moment, that was God. Mm -hmm. God talking to someone who was so dark and so filled with hatred and just eating up the world and broken by the world that God reached down into the pits and he put his hand on my shoulder and he called out to me and said I was his. Mm. I had never heard the word of God before. I had never read the Bible. 
I didn't realize that my friends that had brought me there had been saved two months before. I didn't know that. So they took me to this church and they said, hey, we have this woman. She's serious. She's nut. She has a gun. What do we do? And he said, bring her in and we're going to sing and praise the Lord until he speaks to her. And he did. So don't think that your prayers don't matter. Don't think that your neighbors don't matter. Don't think that someone is so lost that God cannot talk to them. And that is where my passion comes from. Every single person deserves to hear, and you deserve to hear, that you are his, and they are his. And we have to come together, and we have to rally around that thought, and know that be bold. No matter what the threats are, no matter what's coming at you, be bold, because you are his. Stand up because you are his. Go out and help others because you are his. You are his. I am his. I didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. Every day I thank God that he reached down and got me. And I don't feel worthy to serve him. But I am so grateful to be able to serve him every day. And we have such an amazing fellowship here. But there's some amazing people out there, too, and we need to get out there, and we need to show them the love of God, and we need to be that hand that says, you are his, because you are his, and so are they. And so every day I try to think about opportunities of where we can connect with the community, and there are so many ways we can do that, and it's not just here, it's Malawi, the Dominican, it's, it's in Eagle Pass, it's but it's also walk out your door, turn around, look at your neighbor's house, connect with them. We are those bricks. God is our foundation, but we are those bricks that build those. And we can come together and be so strong and be able to develop such a relationship with him that no matter where we are, we are bold. And we can say, you know what? God can save you. You are not so lost that he can't save you because I was so lost that I can't believe that God even spoke to me. As dark as I was, as hate-filled as I was, as lost as I was, God spoke to me. And he can speak to each and every person we come in contact with through us. Let us be that vessel. Fill yourself with his word so that the word stays with you and you can pour it out on him. And he can touch you, and he can touch them through you, and he can say, you are mine. You are not alone. Your struggles are real, but I am with you. Yeah. You are not alone. I am with you. And that translates into the things that you do here at uh, First Castroville, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the opportunities that people have to join you are pretty big, right? Are so many. We have so many opportunities. And let me just tell you something we did last year. Last year, we gave almost $15,000 to Malawi, but that's just a drop in the bucket. We have so much more to do with them. But we also gave two, over 200,000 pounds of food out from this church to over 1,500 different families yeah. in 2022. Yeah. And imagine how much more we can do when we come together and we build these walls and we are strong and we are strong with each other and we're strong in the word and we are making disciples and we are going out in the community and we are saying, here I am, Lord, use me. Let me move your kingdom forward. Give me boldness, Father, to speak. 
Yeah, absolutely. Get one more minute. Oh, man. I have so much more to say. Let me tell you. Guys, we are moving forward. We have spring break coming up. We have three days of outreach. This is important for us because the more of us that join in during that spring break, that 13th, 14th, and 15th, and we go out into this community and we just cover them with helping with things. Can you imagine not being able to open your windows, not having AC in the summer because you don't have screens on your windows. You, you don't have heat in your home. You don't have fans to cool yourself. Imagine not having a floor in your bathroom. Imagine your home being your home, but nobody can help you. You feel alone. We have the opportunity to show them Christ's love. We have the opportunity to just move forward and join together and just plow through this community and show them Christ's love and how we can come together and serve him as a body and also seek out those who are really in need. Yeah, so Tina's going to encourage us to seek the flourishing of our city. Absolutely, absolutely. To help us to engage and be involved in the lives of the people. So, Tina, we are so thankful that you're here, that you've celebrated 10 years. Ten oh, my years. goodness. We're yeah. excited for I that. I am so grateful for that. Yeah. I really am. I really am. But you're going to have to give up your seat. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, He's always uh, doing so, that to me. So, <laughs> coming up next, if you don't mind trading off with, sure. with Lacey. Awesome. Now, uh, Lacey is our children's minister here, and she's brand new. I mean, like brand new, right? And so, Lacey, we are super excited to have you here and looking forward to how God is going to, uh, to really use you to do some amazing things here. But rather than me talk, I'm going to let you talk. Is that good? I guess so. It's a first, right? Yeah, I don't ever get to talk when we're together. <laughs> Not to throw you under the bus or anything. Um, so, I, first I want to say, this guy, so cool. So if you didn't put your name on it, you need to make sure you do that because I love a good object lesson. So, um, pretty cool. I even did one. So if I did one, then you'll have to do it too. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I haven't been here for a super long time, as y'all know. Um, but I'm so, so glad that I am here. And I get to share with y'all a passage um, of scripture that is very uh, special to me and special to children's ministry. And um, most of it, I think, is, is on the screen behind me. But it comes from a, um, a prayer that the Jewish people would say um, every morning and every evening. And um, super super important, and it's going to sound a little familiar because not only do they say it all the time, but Jesus quoted it later on too um, because it's that, that important. So it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And now listen to this part. This part is the even um, for me, the most important part, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, I don't know if that sounded familiar to any of y'all, but 
later on, if I can do this with one hand, hold on, trying to navigate here. Later on, Jesus is asked about what is the greatest commandment, right? And do you all remember what he says? He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, in Deuteronomy, they're over here saying, like, this is the most, and Jesus says, this is the most important thing we can do. But what does it say? It says, teach your kids to do it too. Everywhere you go, all the time. So, I just want to tell y'all that I am so, so, so glad that I get to be here with y'all. I have, um, this church has continued to amaze me in like the most um, surprising and just the best ways. And I feel so, so lucky to be here to get to um, lead y'all in this, in this area. Um, but it's super important. What we do here is super important. So there was a Barna study that was done about spiritual maturity. And I wanna read a quick little quote for y'all. It says, what you believe by the time you are 13 is what you will die believing. Most people's minds are made up and they believe they know what they need to know spiritually by age 13. Mm. So, and lots of other research has been done on that. We know that there's a super high percentage that um, majority of our people, of people, know, get to know the Lord when they're a small child. And I think the reason is, is because that those first 13 years of our lives are one of the most formative years of our lives. Yeah. And we have such a huge responsibility to take advantage of those formative years that we have. So I'm here because God has given me this great passion um, for kids and for ministry and for kids to know the good news about Jesus. I want to partner with our parents to empower our teachers to guide our kids to have a growing relationship with the Lord. And I'm here to just lead the way for our, our mission is for our kids to belong, to feel like they belong here, that they belong in the family of God, that they will grow and be discipled and uh, learn, and that then, then they will go out and that they will also go and serve others. And that is so important because right now is the time for it to happen. Because as we see in scripture, kids matter to God. And right. teaching them about God matters to God. And so we get to join in that in one of the most important times of their life. So, as y'all know, y'all should know, hopefully not, maybe I'm teaching you something new here. I, I hope not, but um, our kids are starting to learn about God at the very beginning, right? When they are a newborn um, or a small infant in our nursery, they are learning who God is through our volunteers, through, our, through their parents, and so it starts at the very youngest child that we have here, at the very beginning. And then it moves up from, from there to our preschoolers, to our kids, and it just keeps going from there, as we're going to hear about, I'm pretty sure, in a minute. But 
it starts now. And there's so many opportunities that we have here to serve all of those different age groups. Um, so um, we have our nursery kids, our babies, our preschoolers, our kids, and there's a bajillion different ways that you can serve with them. And um, the coolest thing is that if you join us, we, we're growing, and we have more and more and more kids showing up every single week, which means that is that many more kids that we get to influence, that we get to lead to Christ. And what an awesome opportunity that is. So I get to um, ask you to join, join us in this amazing mission that we have um, because if you, when you serve with kids, you get um, to serve in a place that is full of purpose and a source of hope and joy. And you get to be a part of bringing kids to the saving grace of Jesus, which is, wow. Like, if that's not enough, I don't know what is. Um, yeah. But then you get to help them grow and help them learn to serve, too. So um, it's a pretty pretty big responsibility, but one yeah. that I think we all can take on. So Absolutely. So w if, if you haven't noticed, you can join in. You can join in and help uh, to lead children to know Jesus more, to walk alongside parents and encourage them. Lacey, we are so glad that you're here, and we're so uh, excited to see what God does with you and through you. But we got to move next to Elijah. Oh, okay. I know, I know. Elijah has um, all kinds of things going for him. In fact, I believe that he um, has a medal that he was too um, ashamed <laughs> to wear today because he thought it wouldn't be humble. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. don't want to talk about it. Honestly. Okay, he didn't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? So tell us about student ministry. Um, since we're not going to talk well, about first, the medal. I just need to say I've been here for 18 months, and the average youth pastor lasts 18 months. So, guys, I beat the statistic. I beat it. Right. Um, no, yeah, so uh, just kind of wanted to just talk through things with student ministry and my passion behind it and, and what we're doing and what we're trying to have happen. Uh, but really want to start off just with, with the scripture that's always been important to me, uh, so much so I got part of it inked on my arm, but that's fine. Um, and it's John 16, 33, um, where Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you will have peace. And in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have problems, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And some, the reason that that's always been very important to me is because I'm the person who I always want to. I always want to fix things. I always want to help other people out of their problems. And and I think I think in that reality of wanting to do that, I recognize how little I can do. Hmm. Um, and 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 I and I want to defend against the, the negatives and, and the darkness of this world. Um, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. And, I, and I, think, I think I'm the person who I think, well, if I think about it enough and I, if I prepare enough, I can prevent those things from not only happening to me but mm. other people. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, you're going to face those things. So rather than trying to defend and talk about how to defend, which those things are important, why don't you just teach people to know me, Right know Jesus first, right? And the light of Jesus is what's going to get rid of the darkness, right? Take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's, that's been, that's been the, the kind of the, 
the the motivation behind a lot of a lot of what I do. Um, yeah. What are they going to so. build? What are you going to build here for for the, the students that are involved, yeah. volunteers? How can they help build? Yeah, so what you're going to build? Build like a car or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm huh. just kidding. That was a bad joke. Let's just move on. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been I've been passionate about uh, student ministry um, for most of my life. Um, I guess not beforehand. Well, I guess I grew up in a church where I, I couldn't wait to be a part of the student ministry. Like I grew up and I was like, man, I cannot wait to be there. Um, I was about 16. I was about 16 years old when I first kind of realized I want to do student ministry. And I was like, I want to do this. I was at my church on a Wednesday night and God was like, so do it. And I said, how? And he didn't say anything else. I was like, cool. Um, you know, I say, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. And so you know, f- for me, um, I, I grew up in such a phenomenal student ministry with a youth pastor that just pursued Jesus over everything else um, and had this community of brothers that I still talk to. I mean, we have a group me that still goes on 11 years later and Five of us got together for coffee at Christmas time. One of them came and taught at Abide for the guys a few weeks ago, you know. And so for me, my, my passion has always been how can I, I had that, how do I help others see that? How do I help others see that community, that biblical community that you kind of read about when you read Acts, you know, the book of Acts and, you know, and specifically students. I think the reason my passion for that is, is, is that it was such formative years for me, and that was an interesting uh, statistic that Lacey shared. Um, and kind of building off of that, I heard the statistic that was said that if somebody has not made a decision or recognized that they need a Savior, Jesus Christ, in their life by the time they graduate high school, there's an 85% chance they never will. And I'm like, what? Let's go. Like, let's go yeah. get them, right? Like, let's, that's where we need to go jump in. And let's go. And, and, you know, I said it to the in, in the, in our small groups earlier. I said, you know, if you've seen the movie Little Miss Sunshine, he goes, that's your prime suffering years, you know. And I'm like, let, let, let's go make it happen. Students, every single student, every single one of us in this room, if you're older and you look back when you were that age, every one of us thinks, who am I? Mm-hmm. I just want to know and I just want to be known, right? Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community. We're trying to build a community of, and we're not, and, and, and I'm not here to replace like parents, right? The, the goal is for there to be for good parents, but showing them healthy peer relationships. And that's the winning combination. Yeah. And when we've got good parents who are pouring into them and then we're here to help, hey, this is what, and I tell the kids all the time, I'm like, I want somebody who's never been here before to say, that's, so, that's what heaven's kind of going to be like, hopefully a little bit, you know, yeah. like they saw something, they got a little taste of heaven, right, is my, is what I, is what I want us to, to think so, about. So. so you're using the word we a yeah. lot, which I love, yeah. because what you're telling us is you're not doing this by yourself. No, definitely right? not. <laughs> and so tell them what they yeah. can do yeah. to be part of we in yeah. student ministry. Well, I mean, we've got all sorts of good um, things happening, you know, we've, We've seen, like Lacey said, for her, like, I think we're just seeing growth in the church in general, which is awesome, you know, but like Abide, our discipleship weekend a year ago, 
including volunteers, we had less than 30 people. And this year we had over 70 involved. And, yeah. and so, and, and for me, I'm just, I just get to sit back and watch it happen, which is yeah. fun because it's like, it's not because of me. Uh, you know, but we have small groups every week and small groups on Sunday mornings, we meet over in the chapel at nine o'clock and it's, that's where the discipleship's happening, right? That's, hey, let's talk about this. Hey, I'm a, I'm a senior girl in high school. How do I, how do I handle this? I'm a middle school dude, right? How do I, how do I, how do I handle this thing, right? This, whatever it was we're talking about that week, you know? And then we have Wednesday nights, and Wednesday nights are really the place for everyone to come together and kind of build that community. We have worship and games and teaching and, and testimonies. It's just this worship. It's just awesome to be a part of. And so, um, so that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to help build a community, and I can't do it by myself. I need small group leaders, right? I need some seasoned veterans who have some life experience. He means sh- old people. <laughs> That's right. You know, I'll with, let you interpret. gray hair. You interpret how you want, okay? You, <laughs> don't put words in my mouth, but yes. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, we're looking for people that show these kids, hey, we care about you, and you're not a burden. Yeah. You're not a burden. And I tell the kids all the time, I said, I'm like, you, you, some of you guys are like my best friends because I just want you guys to grow. Like, I want y'all mm. to grow so much. And, and, and everything else in their world, school, sports, everything else, people are telling them what to do. And so we have a student leadership team of kids. So I'm like, you get to determine some of the things we do here. Because mm. at the end of the day, it's, your, it's also your ministry, yeah. not mine. So Yeah, helping to build disciples, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks sure. so much. So. Uh, Morgan is up next. So. And so thanks for yeah. 18 months, huh? That's right. That's great. You're welcome. All right, so Morgan is probably next to me, probably one of the more visible people that you see every single Sunday just about. And Morgan took on a dual role here after she kind of tested us out for about six or so months. She's like, I'm going to try this thing before I buy it, and um, but that's good. Is it unwise, though? Let's just be honest. So Morgan takes on worship and disciple-making. Tell us about all of it. All of as it. As fast as you can. Yeah, because no one left me any time, but it's great. So I'm going to talk less about worship today because, to be frank, you guys get to see the, the fruit of the labor on yeah. Sundays. Um, but if you do want to join the worship team, you absolutely can. And there's going to be things in the booth and come talk to me. But the, the verse for worship that I love is Colossians 3, 15 and 17. It's not up there. Um, that's the next one. But just go ahead and listen to it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And that's kind of my personal thing. It's for both of them. It's teach and admonish through songs and words. Um, But... He said we had to pick one, one verse. And I was like, oh, that's hard. But it's definitely the Great Commission. So if you mm-hmm. don't know the Great Commission, I'm going to read it for you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mm. Um, so part of why I came on board um, was really that. That is, you can't rank them, but you can. Uh, discipleship is more important to me than music. Music is part of discipleship. Training up worship leaders who can then go out and lead other people as part of discipleship. And so I'm sharing this with you guys because so many of you know you have no clue that that's, I have a dual role. <laughs> um, it's super important to me for us to be able to see the community reached, which we see that with Tina and missions, see our students reached with kids, see youth reach. But the church, God is glorified when the gospel goes out. The Great Commission, if it wasn't perceived as a commandment, we wouldn't be here. If someone didn't take what Jesus just said and do it, none of us would be in this room. And so that is my desire. This is why Alex and I moved to San Antonio. Um, we moved here so we could be disciples who make disciples and see a movement of disciple makers, period. Because until the whole world knows that the Father has sent the Son, we are not done. And if you came to faith, I'm sorry, I'm preaching now. If you came to faith <laughs> and you don't know that you have a responsibility and a task and a big list of kind of things you're supposed to do, then let's talk, let's hang out, uh, jump into a Sunday school class, let's get into small groups. Um, and all of that to say, it, it's always relational before it's organizational. Mm -hmm. How many of you got saved um, because some random person who never loved you said something? It happens, it can. Yeah. Jesus moves however he wants. Yeah. He comes in dreams and visions, he taps you on the shoulder. But how many of us actually changed our mind about the Lord and submitted to him because of the love we received by God through relationship? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can put those hands up, right? When we are loved with God's love, that's when things change. And so for us to grow in boldness and understanding how do we even share who we are, how do we share our resources, how do we share the gospel, how do I do that? Alex and I, right outside at that booth, we can show you how to share a testimony in 15 seconds. And you're like, what? No way. The Baptist way is we do it over five minutes and then have a revival. But if you're on the street, if you're in the grocery store, how do you share the love of Jesus? What does it look like practically? That is what I'm here for. So I want to help you practically figure out as no matter what your age is, no matter how long or how short you've known the Lord, what does it look like to pass on what you possess, which is a relationship yeah. with Jesus? So one of the primary ways we want to see that happen, because uh, I, I don't have time for all of you. <laughs> Ronnie doesn't have time for all of you, but because it's relational, we want to gather people in small groups. So we have four currently that are gathering, but I can tell you right now to keep them small, um, we need more people to do them. So the primary call to action I have for you today is if you care about the gospel going out, if you care about your house being a light, a city on a hill in your neighborhood, and you're just probably a little like, I don't know what this looks like, or you're scared, you feel ill-equipped, then don't. Just know that you have been given all authority on heaven and on earth through Jesus from the moment you called mm. him your savior. So, but yeah, I get it. Like, it's scary to go and do things. It's scary to open up your home when it's not always 
perfectly clean. What does it look like to host? What does it look like to help people look at scripture? I've seen everyone say, yeah, my house isn't clean all the time. That's not an excuse though, okay? Can we just get over that? Don't be like, I can't host a small group because my house is never clean. Don't pull that. Don't do that. We'll get a cleaning service. We'll figure it out. Um, Some are saying it's because my husband. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mine is because of me, not my husband. I love my husband. He's great. He's a part of this. Uh, But yeah, if you feel like God is calling me to love my community and I just don't know how, or I just need a buddy to go do it with me, come talk to me. Come just let's have a conversation. Let's share our testimonies. Let's figure out how God has uniquely equipped you and where the things you rock at and where the things you need help in. And let's grow in intentional love and prayer for one another. Sound good? Sounds great. That's the goal. Awesome. Thank you so much, Morgan. We're so glad that you're here doing what you do. All right, I got to stand for this. All right, you got your block. Will you help build great work in our church, in our city? When opposition comes, will you continue to build? When threats are lobbied from outside, when opposition comes in in forms of discouragement, when culture tries to pull you away from the important work from the Great Commission, will you continue to build? Will you continue to build even if opposition festers from within? Will you continue to build even when you hear it's never been done that way before? Will you continue to build when you feel uncomfortable? (laughs) Come on, pastor. (laughs) Uncomfortable, really? Yeah, when we're uncomfortable. Will you continue to build because it fulfills the Great Commission? Will you respond like Nehemiah? When somebody lobs a complaint against you, will you say, listen, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So here's what you're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing one song. Yeah, I know we're a little long, but hey, listen, I tried to give them five minutes. They each took 10. It's okay. (laughs) Maybe I talk longer. Who's counting? Will you, will you take your block on the way out and visit each of the tables Choose the one that you know that God has called you to to do. And I want you to leave your block there and begin to show that you will build these ministries. Because we can't do it without you. We can't do it without you. Because to be honest, our ministry is you. You are the feet, the hands, the body of Christ. You are the body that goes into this world, into this community. And if we don't put our hands to build this community, the one outside these walls doesn't stand a chance. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you give us courage, that you give us attention, God, that you give us your mind. God, that we would go forward, that we would build because you said to. God, that we would be people that lean into your plan and your purpose. God, that we would step away from our wants and our 
perceived needs, but instead lean into that mission, that vision that you've given us. Help us to build a great community here and outside these walls because we want everyone that we come in contact with to know that there's a God that loves them and that there's salvation found only through Jesus Christ. Father, help us to build great things because God, you are a great God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand and sing.